This is the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast with Monica Louie, episode number 107. Welcome to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast, where we help online entrepreneurs grow their influence, amplify their impact, and scale their businesses all the way to seven figures. And now, here's your host, Monica Louie. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I'm your host, Monica Louie, and I'm bringing you another incredible interview today. From Etsy shop to smartly scaling her online course business, I am pleased to bring you my interview with the incredible Abby Kirsten from Abby Kirsten Collections. She has built an incredibly successful business in the hobby space, specifically in the craft space. And I just can't wait to bring Abby to you today. She is such a delight. But first, if you are new to the podcast and you don't know me yet, I want to welcome you. As I said, I am your host. I'm Monica Louie, and I'm a Facebook and Instagram ads strategist. And I run a successful ads agency where my team and I manage ads for six, seven, and eight figure online businesses including Abby. I'm also the creator of Flourish with Facebook ads, which is my online training program that teaches my step-by-step system for creating campaigns that convert. My team and I have managed more than $3 million in ad spend and served thousands of students and clients. And we are in the trenches every single day, keeping a pulse on what's working now in the world of Facebook and Instagram ads. And as you know, Facebook and Instagram ads are always changing, but if you are ready to scale your business with Facebook and Instagram ads, I want to let you know, I have decided to offer a podcast only promotion on my training program, Flourish with Facebook ads. Now I just got done fully updating the course. It includes everything for iOS 14, all the changes there. It's got fully updated brand new videos. It is fresh and hot off the presses, and I just can't wait to get it out to you. So last week I was in the middle of a promotion for Flourish. And so I didn't end up getting a podcast episode posted, but I want to make sure that my podcast listeners don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to join the fully revamped Flourish with Facebook ads and grab some savings too. So this is a podcast only promotion that I'm offering now through Thursday, July 8th. When you use code podcast100 at monicalouie.com slash flourish, you will save $100 off the price of Flourish. So with Flourish, you have a one-time payment for the course, and then there is a monthly payment after that for the VIP membership. It's only $49 a month, and you can cancel at any time. But we have had such great conversations in our group coaching calls, helping people test and tweak their ads and their campaigns and figure out how to improve their results over time. We offer feedback for your campaigns. You can jump into the hot seat. You can ask questions at any time in our VIP student Facebook group. So if this is an amazing deal, I am getting such great feedback about the program and I just want to make sure that you know about this offer. Again, it's a podcast only promotion, podcast 100 at monicalouie.com slash flourish. All right. So let's get into today's interview. As I mentioned today, we are talking with the incredible Abby Kirsten. She is not only one of my clients, she was a student in Flourish originally, and she is here sharing her story. So Abby is the creator and owner behind Abby Kirsten Collections. She's a blogger, a three-time author, craft designer, and the world's biggest cricket fan. She started her small shop on Etsy in 2014, 
which is still known as catching color flies because she realized she needed to find a creative outlet outside of motherhood and wifehood. After her shop opened, she started her blog, Abby Kirsten Collections, her parent brand, which unexpectedly blossomed into one of the most popular craft blogs on the internet. And since then, she's worked with many well-known companies like Michael's Craft Store, Cricut, HGTV, and Bridal Magazine, along with many others. So we dive into all of this, how Abby went from being a stay-at-home mom pursuing her hobby in the craft space, starting a little Etsy shop and watching it take off from there. But she's put in a lot of hard work. So in this episode, Abby shares her entire journey from just getting started, getting it off the ground, juggling motherhood and growing her business, but also growing her team and the methods that she is using to scale her business. We also talk about why she decided to use Facebook ads and when she knew the time was right to outsource her ad strategy and bring my team and I on to help her with that. And we talk about the keys to creating a great brand that connects. When you look at Abby's brand, you will see it is incredible. I'm just in awe. It is such a fun, happy brand. I definitely invite you to check it out. But first, before we dive in to this episode, I want to make sure you know that you can find all the links and resources that are mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 107. That's M-O-N-I-C-A-L-O-U-I-E.com slash the number 107. All right, here is my interview with the lovely, the incredibly talented Abby Kirsten from abbykirstencollections.com. Hey, Abby, thank you so much for joining me on the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. It's such an honor to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am super excited about this. So you and I, we've been working together for several months now on your Facebook ads. First, you start off as a student in Flourish with Facebook ads, and then we you reached out and we ended up working together and still managing your ads, having lots of fun with your brand, such a colorful, colorful brand. But I'm so excited about this interview because I want to dive more into your story and what got you here, because now I see you've got this amazing brand, lots of great products. I mean, so much great engagement, just doing really great things, helping people learn crafts and, but also helping other budding craft entrepreneurs get started in the space. But I'm so curious. So how did you get here? What were you doing before Abby Kirsten Collections? So it's really interesting. And I don't hear a lot of people, like a lot of people get started with their online business and they'll, they'll say things like, oh, I was in corporate. And then I started to start my own business. And there's a whole group of wonderful women out there like that. And then I hear this other group of women out there. They're like, I had no idea I was going to end up where I was at. And that's kind of my story. So I started off just being a stay at home mom. And I went through some college and I never completed my degree because I couldn't find anything that I love to do. I was like, I'm not going to continue to spend years in school when I have no idea what I really want to do. And I couldn't find my passion. So I ended up just, I got married. I had my first child only, I got pregnant with my first child only six months into our marriage. And so I had my son after I gave birth to him, I, I kind of went through a season of anxiety and depression that really came out. I'm not exactly sure what triggered it, but it was kind of a, a long season for me. And then I unexpectedly got pregnant with my daughter when my son was only five months old. So it was a very unexpected journey to start with where I was. And, and I kind of just fell into motherhood and I love being a mom 
but the anxiety, the depression for me, it got a lot worse. And I realized I needed to find something for myself outside of just being a mom and also making peace with the fact that that was okay to do. And so my husband, he always supported me in my crafts and he saw my creative energy. And he's like, why don't you start like an Etsy shop just for fun, just something for you to do. If you make a little money, fine. If not, you know, just enjoy it for what it is. And so I did. And I enjoyed it for a while. And then I started to receive a lot of messages from people and they were saying, I love your flowers. Can you actually teach me how to make them? I was selling them at the time as like a a finished product. And they're like, I want to know how to make them. There's no tutorials out there on this. This was like five years ago. And I was like, all right, so how would I go about doing that? And then blogging kind of got introduced to me and I was thinking, okay, I could do this on a blog. I could share information on a blog about my tutorials and, and then I could use that as a means to put traffic into my Etsy shop and maybe I could get more sales that way. So that's when Abby Kirsten Collections came into the picture about a year after I opened my Etsy shop, which is still around. It's known as Catching Colorflies Designs. And I went into the world of blogging and I basically just tried to soak up as much as I could about learning about what blogging could do for you. And around that time, my husband, he, his position at work was eliminated and he was unemployed for almost a year. Uh, So we had this two and this three-year-old, he's unemployed and I'm coming off of my anxiety and depression journey, which the crafting and the sharing as a blogger really helps me with that. And I hear a lot of that for other people too out there who've started, you know, a journey similar to mine. And maybe it's been some come out of something, maybe like, you know, it's a means of mental healing or something like that for them. But my husband was unemployed for about a year. And during that time, I got the idea to write my first book, which was the art of giant paper flowers. And I started selling that. And that's when my blog really took off as well as more sales in my shop at the time. And so I just started building my blog and my audience and learning all I could about that, starting an email list, all of that good stuff. And it was a means that ended up replacing our income. And my husband, he was in HR and he was in you know corporate and he's like, I don't really want to go back to this. He wanted to be a middle school teacher. And as we all know, teachers don't get paid the highest salary, but we decided with what I was able to do that I would take the lead and he would be able to go and be a teacher. So that is in a nutshell, the really roller coaster journey that we've been through together to get where I am today with my business. And that's kind of just how it was born out of our journey together through, through my motherhood struggles and then coming out of that and then really wanting to connect with people who might share a similar story or just be able to share with others as a means of mental healing for myself. Wow. Wow. What a story. What a journey. So yeah. how old are your kids now? My, okay, so my son just turned eight, like last week and my daughter, she is about to turn seven. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so we have similar ages. My son is almost 10. My kids are a little bit older, but then my daughter is seven and a half. So (laughs) yes. Okay. So I, and I can totally relate too, because I mean, so my story, I left corporate Mm -hmm. to figure out how to make money from home and have more control Mm -hmm. over my schedule and be there for my kids when they were a little bitty and, you know, they're just so precious and they change so fast. And I didn't want to be at work all day and have them in daycare all day and missing all of that. And, but then when I left to be a stay at home mom, while I gave myself the time to figure out what I was going to do, I remember feeling like kind of guilty that I got to play with my kids. My husband was, you know, at work and he enjoyed his job and everything, but that I just 
all of a sudden had all this time on my hands. And I felt like this pressure to keep the house looking really nice and be on top of laundry and be on top of like all the things. And yep. then once we started like focusing on our debt-free journey and that became like mm-hmm. my thing that mm-hmm. I was kind of leading, leading the charge, I remember feeling like I had that sense of purpose again. And so mm-hmm. that really kind of fueled then my path into entrepreneurship from there. But I remember having those feelings of like, you know, not really sure what I, I felt like this pull of like, I knew I could be a great mom and that was really important to me, but I also knew there was more that I can contribute, but also balancing some guilt along the way. So did you experience that as well? Yes, absolutely. I, yeah, I experienced a, a lot of guilt, especially when I started, my business really started to grow. And even now, because I've stepped into so much of being the front runner for the family, as far as like a financial aspect that my husband, he, he calls himself Mr. Mom, because he does so much more of the traditional mom duties that, you know, society tells us is more traditional uh, for women, but he loves it. And it's just, it works for us. And I think that that can work for a lot of other families, but yeah, I did experience, and I do still experience guilt sometimes because especially when you're an entrepreneur and you work from home, most of us work from home and trying to find that work-life separation. (laughs) is very challenging sometimes when you always have your computer at your fingertips. So it's always a work in progress to balance that family life with our passion and our journey with our our business. But yeah, absolutely. I can totally relate. (laughs) Yeah. So what have you, what have you found that has helped you kind of navigate that, especially as your business has exploded and you've maybe, you know, it first started off as this Etsy shop in my free time or whatever. And then it kind of grew to be so much more than you expected. Mm -hmm. How have you, how have you navigated that and kind of like coach yourself through that process? Yeah. So that has been a tricky one and it is always a work in process. I would say, and honestly, I have really only come to sort of accept this with myself over the last year or so. I'm a perfectionist. And I know there's a lot of people out there who run their own business. They take to that perfectionist type of personality. And so learning to let go of little details is really hard for me. But one of the things that helped me a lot was learning to set boundaries in my business. I was one of those people that I'll be answering messages at 11 o'clock at night. If I see it in my inbox, I do it because if I don't get it done, I feel like I haven't done my job. So I needed to set boundaries on, you know, computer gets closed at this time, no exceptions. There's no reason this can't wait till tomorrow at 8am or 9am. So, you know, being really intentional about following those boundaries. And then the second thing, and this for me is rather recent over the last year is finding help when it comes time, when your business starts to grow, when the resources are there to start investing more, you have got to find people to support you because if you don't, you are going, not only are you going to break mentally, but you're not going to be able to grow to the next level that you ultimately want to get to. Nobody wants to, well, most of us don't want to grow to the level and then just stay there. We want to keep going. We want to keep expanding and and always growing. And you're never going to be able to do that if you don't, you know, first of course, set boundaries, but then also find the help you need so that you're not trying to wear a million hats. We all wear a million hats, but you've got to hand them off at certain points in time. So one thing I did is I hired a customer service person recently And that just made a world of difference for me because it was eating up two to three hours of my time a day. I was so mentally stressed handling my customers. I had, I had plenty of happy customers, but we always deal with those customers that, you know, aren't so fun. And it was just eating up so much of my energy. So one of the things that really helped me navigate that was finding the right help. And this person I found, has been amazing. And she's taken so much 
off of my plate that I've been able to do things like going on a podcast like this. This before would be something I would turn down because I'd be like, there's no way I can't fit it in. I have too much to do. And it's been able to expand my opportunities. So my biggest tips for that with the balance would just be make sure you're setting boundaries. If you know you're feeling guilty, you got to set those boundaries. So you do spend time with your loved ones. And also when you're reaching that point where you can make bigger investments in your business, you got to do it. It's scary. I, I know we all get to that point where it's so scary to do that, but it really will pay off and it's so worth it. Awesome. That's, that's great advice. Mm-hmm. So going back to your business and growing, like, so you started with the blog, you started with teaching tutorials on the blog, but I know that you also have a really successful YouTube channel. I mean, Instagram, Pinterest, I'm looking at all these social channels and like, you've got incredible following everywhere. So just some numbers. So everybody knows 56,000 subscribers on YouTube, 300,000 followers on Pinterest, 50,000 followers on Facebook and 110,000 followers on Instagram, roughly estimated. And so, I mean, you're, so you were in all the places. So I can imagine, you know, being in all the places, building the presence in all the places that, yeah, that can take a lot of time. So did you start there with all the platforms or did you focus on one and then add to it? How did that, how did that work out? Yeah, I, I focused on, I think I started with Facebook and then I focused after I sort of got Facebook up and going, I then moved over to Instagram and focused on that a lot more because I felt like I could reach more people at the time that I was doing this. So Instagram became sort of one of my main places that I focused on. And then I think around that time, they allowed you to start cross-posting Instagram and Facebook. So then I was just able to kind of combine those two together. And I focused on that. And then with YouTube, that really was born for me because I needed a means to share my videos for the tutorials that people were requesting. So I was like, oh, I'll just start a YouTube channel. I had really no intention of it being a big deal at the time. And I think one thing that sort of fueled that fire was... At the time that I was sharing some of these very specific tutorials, there wasn't, this is like 2015, 2016, there wasn't a lot of information on that. So it was sort of like everything was defaulting to my channel because there wasn't a lot out there on that. So I was getting a lot of that like initial traffic, which now it's more competitive. But yeah, I would say I focused on Instagram and Facebook a lot first. And then YouTube was really just a means of a means to an end with getting my videos out there for the people that were purchasing like my tutorials and things like that. And then that kind of just caught on as far as people wanting more videos from me. I really use YouTube as a means of listening to my people when they need a video or something like that. I'll put it up there, but I don't get sucked into numbers on YouTube too much because I feel like it it's a great place, but for my business, I feel like it's more of a backdoor. It's not really like the primary focus of what I should be focusing on. I really try to stay with content on the blog and then engagement on like Facebook and Instagram. Those are my two like primary places that I love to work in. Okay. So you focus on bringing your audience back to your blog yes. so that you can, okay. So you can build that connection with them there. Mm-hmm. So as you were starting with, you know, Facebook and Instagram and then YouTube later, how did you figure this out to get so much traction in all the channels? Did you like really pay attention to what worked and what resonated as you posted? Did you like, you know, go through some courses or how did, how did you figure out how to gain traction and really build that engagement in all those different platforms? So I really, at first I didn't know what I was doing. I did take some courses and I would pick up, you know, little nuggets of knowledge here and there to see what would work. And if something worked, then I would try it several more times. And if it continued to work, then I would continue to do it. 
as we all know, the algorithms change all the time. So it's really hard sometimes to keep up with that. For me, it was consistency, just always showing up for your audience. Even if you only have a hundred people or you have a hundred thousand people, you have to be consistent and you have to show up with good content and good quality things and just genuinely engage people. I think People can really tell a difference between someone who's being genuine and someone who's being fake and just sort of putting a facade out there. And I think if you're really genuine with what you do, that will help build a following more than anything else you could possibly do. With the blog, I would I would funnel traffic through there and I would put them onto an email list, but I would always be saying, you know, come follow us on Facebook or on Instagram. And I would get a lot of people who come from the blog through my email list and then follow me on social media if they weren't already. And it would sort of just bring the community together, not only from the blog, but, you know, into the Facebook communities. So I would say being very genuine with what you do, being consistent with what you post. I found for my particular style of business with crafting and creative things that videos were gold. Video is obviously much better than static images most of the time in any type of marketing or social media. But when I was putting out like one and two minute videos, that was just sending a ton of views my way and traffic and they would get more shares and those shares would turn into more views. And then those people would turn into followers and then Facebook would start, you know, recommending me other pages and things like that. So video for me was a big deal. Anytime I post something on YouTube, I make a shortened version of it so that I can go up on my social medias. And that usually just funnels a lot of traffic. It gets engagement, which of course brings along, you know, more followers and gets those algorithms working in your favor. That's super smart. So you're repurposing. So, because I'm just imagining all the channels staying on top of everything with the blog, (laughs) with the YouTube, like that, that's a lot of content you're producing. So what is your content schedule? What is your content strategy? What is that flow? It sounds like there's definitely repurposing happening. Yes, absolutely. So I typically will post one, maybe two times a week if I can. Having a craft blog, it's a lot of work because there's, I mean, all businesses are a lot of work, but with a craft blog, you have to, I design each of my projects. So once I've done designing them, I test them, then I film them, then I edit, and then I put the content on the blog. And then anytime something goes up on the blog, it goes out to all the channels around the same time. So I'm not taking the time to produce different content for Facebook and different content on Instagram and different content on the blog. I focus on one topic for that week, usually sometimes two, if they kind of can go together and I'll just focus on that piece of content and then I will disperse it on my channels. I'll usually do two static images and one video as a minimum on all of my channels. So there'll be just a video on YouTube, but like on Instagram and Facebook, I'll usually put up two photos over the week and then a video sometimes in between the two photos. So yeah, there's a lot of repurposing with the content there. Don't be afraid to put several images out there on one similar piece of content because you're going to reach Uh, different people each time. If you're using different hashtags on Instagram, you're going to reach different people each time. Yeah, absolutely. Repurposing the content is something I do all of the time. And I recently started really consolidating my past content in a way that that is constantly revolving and going up on social media while I'm producing new content, because it's just not feasible to always be, I have weeks when I'm building courses and doing other things I can't write for the blog. So I need to rely on that past content and I need to make sure I have that organized and I have those images and videos and things that are seasonal that I can put up there. And I just go back to that. And that's just a constant source of content that can go out on social media. I love that so much. Okay. So when you're, when you're posting throughout the week, 
are these multiple images and then the video, are they all post like pointing to the same piece of content, like that week's new content? Or are you also adding in like, you know, pointing people to past content? Yeah, absolutely. So right now, the way my system works is I do typically on like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays are like past content days. And then Thursday and Fridays will be if I have any new content. So like Thursday, I might post the image for my new content and Friday will be like the video for that new piece of content. So I am always cycling new content and old content every single week. Like it's a constant mixture because all the new people you get to your social medias, if you grow by 500 people a year, even, or 10,000 people a year, those new people haven't seen that old content. No one's going to scroll six months into your feed to look for the video you posted six months ago. So it's really important to still recycle that old content because you're going to reach all those people who are new on your social medias. And I think that's something that I think people, when they produce content, sometimes they think, oh, I shared it once. I should never share it again. But that is not true because even the people who have seen it, they're going to forget about it. And they're going to be like, oh yeah. Or they're going to not even remember it all. And they're like, oh, that's wonderful. I love that idea. And they're going to go back to it. So I don't think people and entrepreneurs, they should not be afraid to reuse their content. It's a really powerful way to reach people consistently, make sure you're posting consistently and keep you more sane so that you don't feel like you have to have something brand new every day of the week. I love that so much. I mean, that is such a great reminder because it's so true. I mean, even the people that I follow week in and week out and have followed for years, like, you know, if they post something, I might be like, oh yeah, I kind of remember that or, you know, that theme or something, but you learn something new every time. Right. So even like in the crafting space where, you know, people may have seen it a few years ago, even if they do remember, like they probably don't mind the reminder of like, oh, that would be a fun project to take on. So, and then also just, I'm in awe of you being in the crafting space because with all the work of like creating, coming up with what your project is for that week, and then all the planning that has to go into that. And then the filming and your films, your videos are amazing. Anyway, all of that, I just feel like you've really, it's obviously you've landed on something that is really resonating with people. People are engaging with not only your content and what they're learning, but also with you. And so that goes back to the being genuine piece because you do have just, you know, very genuine, sweet personality. So people like automatically resonate with you. Anyway, so I just am giving you props for lack of a better word for the, all the planning and all that must go on behind the scenes. How long does it take you? I'm curious for like a full length YouTube video mm-hmm. for like with filming the craft project, how long does it take you from start to finish? And I'm sure there's variances in there, but like approximately. Approximately. So with my process, because with my thing, and some people might do this differently. I design everything too. I know there's crafters out there who'll kind of, they'll just craft using other people's designs, but I'm actually designing on top of the crafting and the editing. So if you count the designing phase and the testing and then the filming and the editing and actually pushing the content out there, If I was just working on that and I wasn't getting sidetracked with any other things throughout my day, it would take me about two and a half days to produce something from start to finish that is really quality and includes social media content, video content, and a blog post. That's approximately what it would take me if I was just working on that. Wow. Wow. (laughs) And then managing everything else of your business. Mm -hmm. So what does your team look like now as far Mm -hmm. as, you know, you've got your customer service support person. Do you have other people? Do you have like an admin? Do you have people behind the scenes helping you to publish? What does that look like today? Yeah. So really, like I said, over just the last year and a half or so, I've embraced 
virtual assistants and hired help. It was something that was really scary for me. Not so much, a little bit with the financial, but it was more the letting go and the control of letting someone help you with your business. And I learned that it was some trial and error, but I did learn that if you find the right person, that's so much easier to, to let go of when you have that right person that you can trust. But I have that customer service person, which is my most recent hire. And then I also have a social media team. I have three ladies on that and they help manage my Facebook group, approving members, posting things, all that recycle content that we're constantly repurposing. They put that out there for me every day. So I don't have to do hardly anything with the social media at this point, except post if I feel like it and jump in and engage a little bit. They engage for me a little bit too, but I always like to get in there because if I'm not in there and I'm just completely letting them do it on the social media front, then I'm not able to listen to my audience and hear what they need. So it's really important for me that I still get on social media and I don't just completely hand that off to them. But as far as the posting goes and trying, you know, all that time that that eats up, they take care of that for me. And then I've also been able to hire a couple of illustrators because I do a lot with creating my own designs and craft files. And I still love to design them, but it is one of those time-consuming tasks that I can explain an idea to my illustrators and they can produce it. And then I can just fine tune it and test it. And I don't have to go through the two to four hours it would take me to create a design. So currently I have Let's see, uh, I have six people on my team. And then I also have, of course, Team Flourish as part of my ad support, which I absolutely love. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Okay, so I'm wondering, do you do your own video editing or do you also have a video editor? So I do my own video editing right now. And I'm to the point where I'm trying to talk myself into finding somebody for that. So that's probably going to be my next hire is finding someone to help with videos because I really need to let that go because it does take me about an hour and a half before I'm satisfied with my videos. But yeah, right now I do my own video editing. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That seems like I've, I mean, I'm in the past I did video editing and Mm -hmm. it just seems like it it definitely wasn't my skill, (laughs) my expertise, but it seems like it takes so long. So that, that seems like a good one for you. (laughs) Yeah. It it will be my next hire out. I'm sure it's again, it's one of those fear things of like letting go and the control because I'm such a perfectionist, but I know once again, if I find the right person for it, then I'm going to be so grateful on the other side and be like, Oh, I have another four hours of life back every week. (laughs) So did all of this with the blogging and the video producing and editing and all like this whole process, did it come naturally to you? Did you have to kind of watch what other people were doing, figure Mm -hmm. it out, trial and error? What did, what did that look like for you to get to this place? Yeah. So lots of trial and error and lots of learning from other people who have gone before you. I think that's always important to never stop learning and listening to what other people have done that is successful. It did not come very naturally to me in the beginning. If you want to see what it used to look like, just go to my YouTube channel and look at the oldest video and you will see the huge difference in before or after. I mean, I was filming upside down in my first videos and I didn't know I could rotate the screen and things like that. I mean, (laughs) silly little things that would are like so obvious. Now to me, I didn't pick up on them until I really started focusing, okay, this is how you do this. And this is what other people do. And I always want to look as good as my competitors do. So when my competitors started coming alongside and I was like, oh, their videos look better lit. And how do I do that? So I would go online. Oh, I need a lighting kit. Okay. I need an overhead 
you know, mount for my camera. I don't want to have to balance it on a tripod and then try and pull it down. So it was a lot of things of watching and learning and then also just researching. If I don't know the answer to something, I go to Google and I look until I find an answer. If I don't know what to ask, then I ask Google what I do know until I find the right question to ask. And I basically am just one of those people that if I don't know the answer, I'm going to find it through research and then I'm going to practice it and figure it out until I get it right. And I get something that I'm happy with. I love it. Okay. So you just, I mean, just diligence and also always wanting to improve your craft is what it sounds like. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you never, I don't think any of us would be very successful in business if we were just stagnant in what we do. We always need to be improving and and learning. And my husband always says, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So I think surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you and have different expertise is just so valuable because you're going to learn things, but then you're going to be able to use them to help you. And it can become sort of a network of support that will push you to do better and grow. Yeah. So what does that look like for you? Are you in the mastermind group or some communities, you know, entrepreneurial communities? What does that look like for you? I am. I am in a couple of mastermind groups. And one of the biggest things that's helped me with is my time management because we'll set up systems of putting down our goals for each quarter. And, you know, you'll have to have, you'll aim to have X, Y, or Z goal by the end of the quarter and knowing that there's about 50 people that are going to know whether or not I completed that goal really makes me want to complete that goal. Whereas if I don't have that accountability, a lot of times I will just put it off on the counter. I'll keep moving it further out because I want to work on this or that, but having someone to hold me accountable really makes me stay focused because I have so many ideas all the time. It's a little hard sometimes to just rein my ideas in and just stay focused on one task. And that's one of my personal struggles. But if I have accountability, that's really helpful. And I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs need, whether you're just starting out or you're further down the line, you need accountability. Even if it's just a handful of people that you know are going to hold you to what you said, it can really help push you in your business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So with all these ideas, do you have a system or do you just make a list? I mean, how do you capture those ideas and then kind of navigate which ones to pursue and in what order? So my method of madness, it's, it's really kind of chaos. I'm not going to lie. I can't say I have this brilliant like outline of anything, but I do always, if I have an idea, I have Trello boards and I keep them organized by ideas in Trello boards. I'll have an entire board just for new craft ideas. I'll have an entire board for what I've currently started, but need to finish. I have a board for, you know, my checklist for what needs to be done for each piece of content that comes out. So I do love Trello and There are times when even though I'm working on Trello, I'm like, I got to write this down. So sometimes when I feel stuck with something, just a good old fashioned piece of paper and pen and just writing it out until you feel like you get that brain dump out, it really helps me to sort of clear the cobwebs. And then I can organize everything back into my Trello board and be like, all right, this is the plan I need to do. I need to stick with this. And I always ask myself, what is going to produce the best results, the quickest, and what is going to be most like profitable and effective for my business. So not just kind of going to all these different topics and thinking, oh, I want to do that. I want to do this. But then is it really producing anything? Is it producing profits? Is it producing, you know, engagement with your people? Is it, is it connecting with your people? So sometimes I'll 
jump on, you know, the internet one day, I'd be like, oh, I want to design this new file. I love this, this concept. I'm going to design my own. Like, no, that's going to take me two hours. And I haven't written an email newsletter to my people yet. That's more important. And prioritizing the fact that I know that writing that newsletter and driving traffic to blog posts and connecting with my people, that's going to be more important at the time. So just being really intentional with your your ideas and asking yourself what is going to produce the best results for you and what is going to move the needle in your business forward is something that I really try and ask myself whenever I sit down to work. Very good. I love it. Okay. So what is your work schedule like? Are you, because you are work from home, you've got Mm -hmm. young kids. Do you work like a full 40 hour, you know, five day a week standard kind of work week, or do you have flexibility there? What does that look like for you today? I do have flexibility. I'm not going to lie. I, I work more than probably 40 hours a week just because it's, it's my personality. I am not saying that that's something you have to do. If you have your own business, maybe in the beginning stages, you know, you'll have to work a little harder, especially when you're getting things off the ground. But for me, I work about five days a week for about 10 hours a day. And then on the weekends, I'll do a couple of hours if we're just home around the house. So if I'm sitting with my kids and we're watching a movie or something in the afternoon on a Saturday, and I can just do like some designing work on my computer, I'll do that. So while it's technically work, it's kind of playtime for me a little bit also, because I don't always get to do that as much during the week when I'm handling like more admin things or editing or things like that. So I wouldn't say I work very traditionally. I'm, I'm pretty flexible and I'm not an early bird. I'm not a morning person. So I tend to work better in the evenings. <laughs> okay. So tell me about that because I know there's this whole stigma of like the early bird catches the worm. You know, we've long been fed this, like the 5 a.m. club and all of that. So what is, what does not an early bird mean? All right. So for me, <laughs> my husband drops the kids off at school and I probably don't start my day till like eight 30, like ish, something like that, depending on how late I am. That's just how I'm kind of wired. I've tried to do the early bird thing before. And then I always found myself like falling asleep at like two o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, you know what, if I just let myself sleep an extra hour, hour and a half, then I can work without stopping or getting that two 30 feeling. And then feeling like I don't have the stamina to complete the task I want to do. So it worked out better for me to say, you know what, I'm going to work up till five o'clock. Once my kids go to bed, I'll work for another hour so that I could sleep for that extra hour in the morning that made me feel like I could be more productive throughout the day. So that's just really what works for me. I'm sure if I got into the habit of working super early in the morning, I probably could, I'm a person of habit. So if I change my habit, I could probably get into it, but I've tried it before and I was like, eh, I still don't really like it that much. So I'm definitely more of a night out and I'll just work an extra hour or two in the evenings, you know, while my, while I'm watching TV or something. And I feel more productive that way than if I wake up early in the morning. That's how I am too. So I just, I, that's why I wanted to ask because I like finding other people that kind of validate that you don't have to be the like 6am at the computer, getting stuff done before the kids are awake kind of person. Yes. But you can still have a successful, you know, fast growing business and do it on your own schedule in your own time and not feel bad about it. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. That's amazing to know that about you too, because I don't find many people like that. And so sometimes I'm like, am I just lucky or is there anyone else out there like that? No, I've had times. I mean, I've had like in my, in my corporate days, like I would, and just because of schedule, like I would get up super early to go to work and then get up. I don't know, like five, I I think I'd be to work at, 
Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember. I don't know, super early. And then like by 7.15, after I'd been at work probably for like an hour or so, I'd be like wanting to take a nap at my desk. And I'm like, I do this every day. I go to bed super early because I know I'm getting up early and like, you know, I should be having enough sleep and it just didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. So anyway, you're not alone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so in, in building your business, I know that niching down has been super important for you and helping you grow. So, and, and also determining what you're going to sell and what products you're going to create. So in the beginning, did you kind of create crafts, like doing all the things? Did you have to like rein yourself in and have a focus? How did you kind of learn about niching down? Yes. So I definitely had to rein myself in. It's really funny because when I first started my journey at the very beginning, I had no intention of being a blogger or anything. I was just, you know, Etsy shop and I wanted to make a little side money. Well, I was looking online one day. I was like, oh, all these people out there create this really cool clip art. I want to make clip art. I want to draw clip art. That looks fun. So I started to learn how to draw clip art. I was like, I want to start selling clip art. Well, I opened a shop by a different name and I put some clip art images in there. And I one day just ended up putting in there a couple of my paper flowers that I was doing. And literally the next week, that was the only thing selling in the shop. And I was like, okay, this is not what I expected, (laughs) but I went with it. And then that's when things took off with me wanting to go into sharing my tutorials and selling the digital files. Where I started was not where I ended up. And I think that's true for a lot of us. And that's really okay to know that going into it. My mom is actually trying to start her own blog right now. And I'm sort of helping her with that. And she gets very sidetracked by feeling like everything has to be perfect right out of the gate. You can change pretty much anything, but when it comes to, you know, niching down and making sure that, you know, you're really identifying with what you want to be known for and who you want to sell to, If I could give myself a piece of advice from the past and go back and tell myself this, I would say that's something I need to focus on earlier on because I saw the most growth in my business when I started really narrowing down who I wanted to be in my business. I always say that there's, you know, three things to getting started with your business. It's what will you sell? Who will you sell to? And where will you sell? Those are the three questions that everybody who wants to start their own small business, whether it's craft related or just anything really, I think they need to answer that question on paper before they can start even naming their business or or doing anything. I think if you can't answer those questions, then you need to before you start actually working. That is so smart because if you, if you don't figure out what you're selling, then you don't have a business yet. You have a hobby if you're Mm -hmm. just doing all the other things. And then how can we help people kind of identify if they're feeling a little bit scattered with who their ideal audience is, how can we help people kind of narrow that focus and understand, are they being too narrow in the, their audience? Are they still too broad? How do we find that like kind of sweet spot to find our, our right audience for us? Yeah, that is a a tough one for a lot of us. And it's interesting, just side note, I get that question all the time when I'm working with someone new, they're like, who's your ideal, you know, audience? Cause they need to know for whatever they're I'm hiring them for. And I struggle with that because one of the things they want to know is their age range. And that's an important factor when you're selling to somebody kind of knowing their age range, what stage of life they're in, things like that. It's something very important to consider. But for me, it's very weird in my business because I get people, if you look at my Instagram, it's like age 24 to 35 or something like that in my Instagram. That's the traffic I get. If you look at my Facebook, if you look at 
my Google analytics, it's ages like 50 to 65. It's a very, very wide range. So I think that stumped me a lot in the beginning. And I was like, you know, I guess I'm not identifying my avatar very well if, if I can't narrow this down. But I started to think about what are some other things, because I think your avatar, it doesn't necessarily have to be an age range or even a season of life. It could be things like, you know, their personality or even their struggles that they might identify with you. So I think one of the biggest ways that someone who's starting out can identify who their customer is, is to just ask yourself, you know, what is your avatar's age? That's still something you want to ask yourself that may not be exactly who you end up selling to, but it's still good to have that idea and write down some things about that as if you're talking about a person, like what do they like? What do they dislike? You know, kind of make them make that avatar, that person you would sell to as real as you or I, and it's going to help you identify with how to sell to a person like that. I think knowing to where your avatar hangs out is really important. So if you, if you jump into Facebook groups or online communities and you can identify people that would be someone who you'd want to sell to, you can see how they sort of talk to one another and how they, you know, interact online with each other. And that can give you a lot of insight into your person and how you might be able to sell to that person. So, and then the, the third one is where to sell. So if we find out where they're hanging out, that can kind of help us inform that. And so for the crafting space specifically, I mean, we've got Etsy. That's where you started. Do you still sell on Etsy today? Sounds like that's, if so, like that's not as big a focus for you, but you know, how does that fit into you? And are there other places that crafters Mm -hmm. should be considering selling? Yes. This is one topic I am really passionate about. I do still sell on Etsy. It is a huge chunk of my revenue. That's the only reason why I'm probably still there is because it's such a great like resource still. And I've built it up so much, but about a year and a half after I started the blog and I still had my Etsy shop, I started to realize the importance of not just having an Etsy shop or a marketplace shop. And the importance of that is the fact that basically you're on a rented space. Etsy owns your shop. Basically, if they want to kick you off tomorrow, they can kick you off tomorrow. If you're breaking the rules or whatever it might be, sometimes there's glitches in the system. Even I've had really strange things like that happen to other people I've known. And if you have your own website, if you have your own blog or your own e-commerce shop, that is totally within your control. It allows you to customize your customer's experience and your competition, your your competition is not at your customer's fingertips. So if you're on a marketplace at any given time, they can just click over and find another 500 products that might be similar to yours. And while it's a great place to get started, I absolutely encourage newbies and crafters to get started on a marketplace. I do not think that should ever be your only, you know, sole source for your business. Diversifying is really important. And, you know, having a e-commerce shop for yourself or a blog is also really important because you can capture emails. If you're on a marketplace you can't capture emails, which means you can't reconnect with that audience and sell them different products or even just be able to pop in their inbox so they remember who the heck you are. You can't do any of that on the marketplace. So it's really important that if you're serious about growing an online business, no matter what it is or a craft business, 
get started on those marketplaces because they offer so much insight into growing your business and what people might be looking for. Because I, I found all that out for myself when I started on Etsy. I was like, oh, I'm going to do clip art. Well, I ended up doing something totally different. And then it completely redirected the way my business went. So it was very insightful to be able to sell on a marketplace. I was able to get quick sales because Etsy was driving a lot of the traffic, but I didn't want to stay put there because if I would have stayed put there, I'd be making about 70% less a year if I hadn't started a blog and another shops, e-commerce shop. So I always encourage entrepreneurs don't stay stuck in the Etsy net. You got to break outside of that and you got to, you got to get a blog. You got to get a shop or something like that, because it's going to be, it's going to be the thing that launches you into the real world of owning a small business. And that's how you really can, I would say like differentiate yourself and establish yourself as a reputable brand. Because if you're just, I want to say like Sally homemaker who just put up like a, you know, an Etsy shop and she just does this on the side, like maybe like it doesn't look as reputable or credible perhaps if you're especially just getting started and you like don't Mm -hmm. have very many reviews or anything, you know, once you have more reviews and then more established, then that can help for sure establish Mm -hmm. that credibility. But if there's also a place to point people to, for your brand, that would help too. So is there a way to, you know, when you do make sales on Etsy, is there a way to let them know about your brand and your, and your website and your e-commerce shop and, and your other, you know, social media channels and stuff so that they can follow you, even though you can't capture their email at that time? Yes, absolutely. There are several ways to do this. One of the ways I do it is, and I have digital files, but you could also do this in your like your receipt area on Etsy. So if you're selling a physical product, you could still do this by typing out some text in the receipt box area that's a message to your buyer. But since I sell digital products, one of the things I do is when they download the template from me, one of the files in there is I'll give them, a lot of my customers do things with cutting machines like Cricut machines or Silhouette machines. So I'll have an entire PDF on help for your Cricut machine. I get so many people who buy files before they actually learn how to use their machine. So I'll point them to all of my resources on my blog that will help them learn how to use their Cricut machine, how to upload the file that they just purchased to actually use. And that pulls them over to my blog. And that oftentimes gets them on my email list. And then, you know, of course, allows me now to have that email, to build that connection, to put them into funnels, to offer them other things. And If you don't have a digital product, you could still have like a home page or something like that, or a landing page that you could send people to with information like that. If you're selling, let's say you're selling wood signs or something like that, and you want to point them over to your standalone shop, that's your own.com website. If someone buys from you on Etsy, there's always a place where there's a message to the buyer and you could put that information in there. And you'd be surprised how many people will actually click on that and go over to your website and how many people will want to purchase aside from Etsy. You look way more professional when you have your own website. It looks like you're actually in it for a business. A lot of people, I mean, Etsy's so saturated. I think most people, when they go to Etsy to shop, I even do this. I don't remember the shop's names like at all. I just, I go there. I'm like, oh, that's a cute product. I buy it. And I totally forget the shop's name because I'm not typing in the URL. I'm just on Etsy.com. So everything is branded Etsy. But when you get people over to that e-commerce shop or that blog, that's your own.com, they're going to remember to go back there for certain things. And I think that's one of the best ways that you can help build that connection. I've had so many people with my shops, they'll actually purchase on my direct site and they'll message me on Etsy. They're like, I need help with this. Or I have a question about this. I'm like, okay, well, this must be working because you're going back and forth between my two shops. 
So um, I think giving them links to things after they've purchased is a really great means of connecting and just drawing them in. And also with social media, provide your social media links, because if you get them over social media, you know, and they're liking and following you on there, you can point them to other things like an email list or a blog and get them on there that way as well and be able to reconnect with them. I love it. Okay. That's really great advice. Some great tips there. So you have been featured in like, you've worked with so many great brands. I mean, Michael's most re- well, I don't know if it's most recent, but most recent that I'm aware of, you were featured in their Memorial day campaign. You've worked with cricket, the machine creator brand cricket, HGTV, Bridal magazine. How did those relationships come about? Did, is that something you pursued or they found you? How did, how did those start to happen? So for most of those, they actually approached me and a lot of people think, all right, well, how does that happen for me? They want to know, I want to, you know, I want to work with those bigger brands. How do I do that? My advice for that would be making yourself look as professional as possible, doing good, consistent work, always again, being genuine and, you know, listening to what your audience is asking you, because if you listen to what your audience is asking you, then you're going to reach more people who are asking that question. And those brands that are looking to answer those questions as well are going to be like, wow, okay, this person is providing such great value to their people. We want to work with someone like that. They're genuine. They're interested in actually helping people. They're not just in it for, you know, vanity numbers or just, you know, a dollar and not actually caring about their people. So I think, really working on your brand from a perspective of being very genuine, very consistent, really branding yourself well. That's a whole other conversation, but making sure your brand is very recognizable. And another tip I'll give anyone who's wondering about how to connect with those brands, engage with them. Don't just follow them, engage with them, get on their social medias, comment on things, tag them on Instagram. You'd be surprised how many features I have gotten just because when I post a video and I use my Cricut machine to make it, I'll tag them and I'll get my video or my image featured just because I tagged them. So don't be afraid to tag those brands, engage with them regularly Believe it or not, the people who manage those social media, they will pick up on that eventually if you're consistent enough. They have really big communities, but they will pick up on those things. And more than anything, just always, always giving it your best. I know that sounds cliche, but like, don't ever do anything, you know, with social media, I think we all can fall into that trap of maybe there's someone who's not so great a person and they're, they're commenting and leaving rude comments. Don't ever follow, fall into the trap of engaging in negative things that could make you look negative because those brands are watching more than you realize. And if you make yourself just friendly and genuine, and you're always out there to give to others and to bring joy to others, those brands are going to pick up on those things and they will approach you with time. And I've seen lots of people who've had like 2000 followers on Instagram and they still get to work with these brands. So don't think that you have to have a hundred thousand followers before you're going to get interest. It really is about, am I branding myself? Well, am I being genuine? Am I being consistent? Those are the factors that are going to catch the eyes of those brands. And for you, when did, when did this start happening? Like when did, when did the first big quote unquote, big brand reach out to you to start working with you at what stage? Let's see. I think that was maybe about two and a half, maybe three years ago. I think it was Cricket first that did some features on me on their social media. 
I don't remember the first campaign I did with them, but it was a lot of just features at first. It was, that was how it started. It started with, I was engaging with them constantly on social media and they would take my photos and they would share them. So that was the first step. It was just, I wasn't getting paid for anything. I wasn't actually going on their main website, but I was getting featured on their social medias. And then that led to one of their brand people reaching out to me and saying, Hey, we want to do this campaign with you. And then that led into, you know, a sponsored post or some free products in exchange for a review or something like that. So it'll start small, but that's why I say engage with those brands because they will pick up on you more than you realize. But it was Cricket first. I think he did that about two and a half, three years ago. And then it went into Michael's has been the one I've worked with the most actually over the last year. They are my favorite craft store. I absolutely love them. They're so, they're so genuine and they absolutely love their crafters. And I, I've loved working with them. I did some interviews with them and there's a bunch of other fun stuff coming up with them in the next year. So it's been really exciting to get to work with them. And it's such an exciting stage of your business when you get to do that, because it's kind of like a validating feeling where you're like, oh, I'm doing something right. Someone's recognizing me. So I think it's something that we all want to work towards, but it's, it's definitely rewarding when you get to that point, something to strive for and a goal to have. I love it. Okay. And I mean, I'll definitely see those brands share, you know, they want to share people using their products, right. And, and mm-hmm. buying their products from their store. And so they'll definitely share that all the time, especially when it's a great photo that somebody's captured and tagged them. So I see that for sure on, on social media. Okay. So let's talk about branding because your brand, I mean, if you go to abbykirstencollections.com, like, I mean, your brand is impeccable. Follow you on social. I mean, you've got the colors, so colorful, so happy, so uplifting, First of all, did it always look like this? Did you like, you know, <laughs> land on this because you like happy colors or how did your brand evolve and mm-hmm. how do you kind of coach or, you know, suggest others kind of land in their brand and what can we do to set ourselves apart, to make us the recognizable brand you're talking about? Yes, that's, that's a great question. And no, my brand did not always look this way. It has been evolving over many years. So know that if you're, if you're new and you're starting out, what you do now, you'll probably hate a year from now. So just know that, but that's part of the journey that's going to take you to the beautiful brand. It's kind of just a necessary evil of evolving into what you want to look like. And a lot of that you're going to discover within yourself because you're going to be listening to your customers and your readers. The more you listen to them, the more they're actually going to help you develop what you want your brand to look like. But as far as starting points on how to do that, I always tell people, you know, a lot of people will start with the logo or the name or something really like obvious like that. I always tell them to first start with a feeling. So what do you want a person to feel when they look at your brand? So that's one of the things with my brand that I love color. And it's kind of funny because I don't dress very colorful in real life. I'm kind of neutral, but when I'm doing anything with my business, I'm super colorful. So that's where my color side comes out. And I just, I have so much fun with all the colors because one of the feelings I wanted to invoke was happy, joyful, playful. So if you're starting a new business, I would say make a list of adjectives that are going to share the feeling that you want to invoke upon the person who's looking at your brand for the first time. And that's also going to be a way for that person who's looking at your brand to know if they're interested in learning more about you or, you know, getting on your email list or buying your product because they're going to immediately connect with whatever that feeling is that you're invoking with those colors or style. So the first thing I always tell people to start with is make a list of feelings and adjectives that you want to share through your brand and sort of your brand story in that way. 
Okay. That's a great place to start because I mean, just as I said, like looking at your brand, it's just like a happy brand. And so that's great. I mean, that's what you were going for. And it obviously, obviously worked. And so making that connection. And just as you were, you were talking about that, I was thinking about like, that's going to either attract the right people that you want to engage with, with your audience and have be future customers, or it's going to repel the wrong people. Like, you know, people who are interested in more like goth, it's just goth comes to mind. It's like the opposite of your brand like, yep. are not going to be as attractive to your happy, colorful brand, mm-hmm. you know, but they may not be right for your, your offers either. So, but the people that are that like the bright and the sunshine and all of that, they're mm-hmm. the ones that are going to be attracted. And also I can imagine be those kind of diehard lifelong customers when they just feel good engaging with you and with your brand and watching your videos, having all of that come across, it's going to bring them back for more. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's funny because my brand is very bright and colorful and I will get people sometimes who will buy my templates, they'll make things and they will make them in colors totally opposite to colorful. And it's funny to me because I think sometimes there's people who aren't necessarily the bright and colorful, playful type that I am in my brand, but they want to feel that feeling or they want to feel that way. And so I attract them just because of that. They may do something totally opposite to that, but because they're looking for that happy, playful feeling, they still end up getting drawn into the brand. That's so interesting. It is. (laughs) So, okay. So I got to ask you, you know, when did you decide, so things are rocking and rolling, you've got products. So give a quick, I guess, overview of what products you have, what products you offer in your shop, but then also your courses and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I have, yes, of course, my shops, which is like individual download files for craft templates and things like that. And then I have uh, a couple of different courses. I decided Cricut's a big part of my brand. So I decided to create a course around learning your Cricut machine. So I have a very in-depth course on that. And I also just recently launched a course on how to design your own SVG files, which is the format you use in order to craft with a Cricut machine or a similar type of cutting machine. So those are two of my, my main products in those courses there. And I had so many people ask me how to do that, that I decided, you know, I need to listen to my people and I need to make these products for them because they want this help. So I put those together, but I've also written three books. My first one that I mentioned earlier was The Art of Giant Paper Flowers and also Cricket Confidence, which is about cricket again, but it's more of a page-by-page guide instead of a course. And then I also wrote The Joy of Paper Flowers, which is all about smaller flowers and arrangements and things. And what I think is funny is when I first wrote my first book, The Art of Giant Paper Flowers, I had no intentions of ever writing a book, but I actually had one of my readers was like, I don't see anybody out there that has a book on giant paper flowers for like, you know, wedding decorations and backdrops for parties and things like that. And I did my research. I was like, you're right. There is nothing out there on that. There is not one book on giant paper flowers. I was like, I'm going to write this book. And I did. And it became my bestseller like overnight because there was no competition for it. And then after I wrote that book, I got tons of people saying, I love your book. Are you going to write one all small flowers and arrangements and bouquets and things like that for weddings? I was like, wasn't planning on it, but since you asked, (laughs) I'm going (laughs) to do that. So I ended up writing three books and then took it deeper and ended up creating two courses. And then I still have my shops where I have all the individual files. And one thing I'm working on right now is actually creating a membership because I get so many repeat customers with my shops and most of my downloads are like 
between two and $4, but I wanted to create a membership experience for those faithful customers that didn't want to pay for each new download that came out. They just wanted to be part of a membership. So I'm going to be launching that in July next month. So I'm super excited about adding that to my products. Awesome. I love that. Okay. So when, I mean, so we started working together earlier this year on Facebook and Instagram ads, and now we've started adding in Pinterest to the mix as well. And so when did you start? Cause you first started on your own with Facebook and Instagram ads and promoted pins. When did you decide to go down that route? And then mm-hmm. can you talk about like the decision to hire out, because I know that's where you were in the stage of like, okay, I'm, I'm getting ready to get things off my plate. I'm getting comfortable with outsourcing and handing over control and all of that. So, so what kind of, you know, shifted for you? So first getting started and investing in, in paid advertising and then hiring it out. Yeah. So I first started, I want to say, I want to say I started about three years ago with advertising and up until about six months ago, I was doing it myself. And you know, I just did a little bit of research on what to do, what not to do with ads in general when it came to Facebook and Pinterest. A couple of years ago, I felt like ads were performing better because there was less competition on certain things. And, and a lot of competition has really grown, especially in my niche over the last couple of years. So I was doing a lot of it myself, but I was at the point, even when I was doing it, I knew that I was doing my best, but I probably was not getting the return that I could. So I was like, I need to start doing these because I know that it's valuable to do advertisement. It's the next stage in business when you want to reach more people and you want to drive those conversions higher. So that was the the deciding factor for me. I need to do that to grow my business. And, you know, again, being the person in my family who took sort of the, the front runner as the breadwinner, I was like, I need to, you know, keep this growing and keep it going. So that was the thing that really pushed me to do ads in general. When it came to getting to the point where I was hiring out, I purchased your your course, like you mentioned at the beginning, and it had so much great information in it. And I went to purchase that because I was getting so frustrated with Facebook ads, as I'm sure you've heard a million times from people how frustrating it can be to be in that Facebook ads manager and you don't know what you're doing. So I knew I needed a course to help me with that. And I purchased your course and it had so much great information. And as I'm working through it, I'm thinking, this is so valuable. I'm glad I have it, but it's also taking so much of my time. So I was at a stage where I could afford to look into investing someone to help me with ads. And I knew that even with a fabulous course, some of the things that a service could provide were going to be invaluable to me as far as just connecting and the feedback and just the insights from somebody else who's been so much more experienced in it. It really, it didn't take me long because I knew that you were recommended to me actually through a Facebook group. And then I purchased your course. And then after your recommendation and then seeing your course, I was like, it wasn't long after I knew I wanted to work with you guys just because I was overwhelmed with trying to do everything in my business. So even though the course was great, I still had to implement all the steps. And I was like, you know, I just need somebody who's going to take that off my plate. And I know what this person's, this person knows what they're doing. And I'm not going to have to worry about figuring it all out on my own. I mean, even, even with wonderful courses, there's still some of that like trial and error, just because you're doing it yourself, you know, and having a service take that off of my plate was just amazing. And then with like all the iOS changes that have come out, it's been invaluable to have somebody actually be like, Hey, we're navigating this. We, we can answer that question or we'll ask about this for you or something like that. Cause 
oh my gosh, I don't even think I'd be advertising with Facebook right now if I didn't have you guys. I'd probably be like so confused. I was like, I give up. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been presented some challenges with iOS 14, but we've been able to to figure that out and navigate that and kind of because as Facebook was making changes, you know, what they said one week was different the next week or didn't actually turn out the way that they said it was supposed to. So there was some of that, but luckily like we've got that all ironed out now. So, yeah. So, I mean, as far as like letting go of the control factor of, you know, hiring it out and trusting somebody else, whether it's somebody you bring onto your team or outsourcing a service like you've done with us, what advice do you have for people who are thinking like, in order to grow my business, in order to get to the next level, I know I need to let go of control, mm-hmm. but I'm also scared because I know I feel that way too. Cause I'm like much of what you said, I, I resonate with, I'm a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. I like things done the way that I want them done. And so in like growing my own team, I've experienced that as well of like, mm-hmm. you know, I've got to trust that they're going to take what I've shown them and implement it. And I get feedback and we learn along the way and adjust, but what advice do you have for those who are like in that stage of like, mm-hmm. I'm ready to go to the next level, but I'm a little nervous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's totally understandable. First off, know that the first person you hire may or may not work out and that's okay. That was something I struggled with because I'm such a people pleaser. I felt like if I hire the person, I have to keep them forever. And I was, I was struggling with that so much, but it's okay to know that sometimes maybe you made the wrong choice, but one thing that'll help you not make the wrong choice in the beginning And this is advice that my husband actually gave me because he was in HR before. So he did a lot of hiring is to look at the person's personality as far as what is their work ethic and do you work well with them personality wise, because you can teach skills and dynamics of running your business, but you can't teach good work ethics. That's something that you either have or you don't have. So if you're looking at somebody and you can see things like their attention to detail and their initiation on things and great communication skills, all those really important factors that go into having a successful virtual assistant, take a look at things like that and their work ethic, because that is the thing that is the most important and the thing that you can't change after you hire them. They either have it or they don't. And if they have it, you can teach them all the little details of how to, how you want something posted on social media or how you want something edited. All that stuff can be learned And one thing that helped me a lot too is I was always worried about how am I going to communicate the things I need done in my specific way. And when I started hiring or when I hired my one social media manager, she just does everything over Loom and does videos for that. And we create a whole library of like resources of how to do this and how to do that. And I'll just pop in there and do one to two minute videos. I can show them exactly how I want it done. And then if they don't do something the right way, I can just be like, Hey, check out this mark in the video. I would like it to be done this way in the future or something like that. So setting up systems that will help your people succeed and help you feel like you can give them as much information as possible on what you want done a certain way. But then also, most importantly, during that interview process, just look for that work ethic, look for that natural desire to please, that that eagerness to please, that eagerness to do good work. Those things can't be taught. And that's what's most important when you're hiring. Do you have like a specific way you ask for that? Is there a question? Because I know like I've been in this situation where people will hire well, but then when I bring them on, like, you know, what they said their work ethic was, is kind of different from what they actually do. So is there, is there a specific way to kind of like test or vet that out? Yeah. So a couple of things I did was first after the interviews were over, I would say I would be in touch or something like that X amount of days later. One thing I noticed is the people who stood out were the ones who went ahead and initiated 
an email afterwards just to say thank you for talking to me, things like that. Went that extra step. They weren't asking for anything. They weren't trying to sell themselves, but they just wanted to do that extra step to just thank me for my time and whatever. That to me stands out from other people who just, you don't hear from them. Like I actually, I felt so bad afterwards because there was, uh, I was doing a bunch of interviews and there was this one person I was kind of interested in, but I wasn't sure. And the two other people I interviewed, they sent me those messages and I ended up hiring them. They're like, thank you so much. If you have any other questions, let me know. Happy to help you. Like super eager to please. But this other person did not send me any messages that I actually forgot about her completely because there was no connection or communication. So that's one thing I always say, look for them to be reaching out to you because that's going to, that means they have that initiative and they're going to get the job done. Or if they don't know how to get the job done, they're going to come and ask you for help and they're not going to be waiting on you to chase them down. So I think that's a telltale sign that they could be a good person or not. I think also with hiring, something that's really important with hiring is to do trial periods. When I first hired my first person, I didn't do a trial period. And I think going into it, stating very clearly, there's going to be a 30 day trial period so that they know that they're getting evaluated. They need to bring their A game. Like, are you going to be this person or not? And then that also gives you an out so that if you don't feel this person's right for you, you are not committed long-term. They're not under that impression. And for me being the people pleaser, I don't feel as bad saying, you know what, it's not going to work out. We're coming to the end of our trial. So I think going into it, knowing that you need to set up a 30 day trial is really important because it'll kind of relieve the pressure for both parties involved and can allow the trial period, the, the trial period can kind of just allow the person to either shine or bring through some of the things that may not work out. And you'll know if they're right or not for your team. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. We definitely do a trial period when hiring on our team because we want to make sure that because you can only learn so much during like a test project and interviews and mm-hmm. and checking references and all those, you know, initial steps. But once you you don't really know how it's going to be in play until you actually get to that that stage of things. So wrapping up here, because I want to thank you so much for your time and for sharing all of this. This has been so fascinating, Abby. So great to chat with you and to dive into all of this. What would you say to somebody who's growing their business? They're chugging along. They are feeling like they're kind of stuck. Like they're, they're ready for that next level in their business, but they're just feeling like they don't know which way to go next or what is really going to move the needle for them. What would you say to them? I would say to survey or listen to your audience. At one point when I got kind of stuck in my business, before I created my courses, I wanted to know, like, I kind of already knew they probably would be good because I was getting questions about them, but I sent an email out to my list and I said, it was very short. It was not this fancy email where it was like, you know, looks all pretty and has a bunch of images. It was literally like three sentences, like you're sending it to your mom or something. Hey, I want to know if you need help with this or does this interest you or what are you struggling with here? And then maybe give them a few choices and then just prompt them to reply to you. And that's, you know, obviously the value of having an email list, prompt them to reply to you and take what you get from that and start thinking about what product can I make to help this? What freebie can I make to solve this problem that can point them to my product later on? What training could I make on this? What craft tutorial could I make that they need help with? I get people all the time like, I have this event or this wedding and I don't know how to do this or that. Do you have a tutorial on it? And if I get enough of those questions, if I get asked more than three times, I make a tutorial on it because if three people are asking, there's probably 10 times more people wondering the same thing and they're just not asking. So I would say, listen to your audience. If you don't have an email list, 
then go into Facebook groups. Even if it's not your own, go into Facebook groups and look at what the questions are and see what questions people have. And can you answer them? Do you have a particular skill that will help answer those questions? And as long as you're serving your people and you're being genuine, that is the thing that will move the needle forward every time. That's the number one thing. If you get stuck, you need to dial into your people and you need to listen to them and, you know, just keep being genuine with them. And that is going to be the thing that pushes that needle forward. Every time where I feel like I'm slipping, I'm like, you know what? I haven't emailed my list this week, or I haven't emailed them in two weeks, which I try to never let that happen. But I realized that that is so valuable because if you don't have these connections in your business, if you don't have people, you don't have a business. So you've got to really make sure that you're, you're connecting with them that way and listening to their needs. Yeah, that is such, that is such great advice. And and it'll help kind of fuel you and motivate you too, that you know that there are people out there mm-hmm. that are looking for something that you can help provide, or you can figure it out and you can provide a solution for them, teach them something, you know, whatever it is, but that, you know, those people are there and they're engaged and they're interested and they're wanting to learn from you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I've got one more question for you. I'm curious because you've, you've built up this amazing brand and you had mentioned earlier about, you know, suffering from anxiety and depression and on your website, you say you're an introvert. And so I'm just wondering, was it hard for you to initially put yourself out there and become a well-known influence? I mean, now today you're a well-known influencer in the space with, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers. And so, you know, just thinking about that, like that's, that's a good size city right there. If you put all your followers in one place. So just putting yourself out there as an introvert, you know, initially struggling with anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. overcoming that and building this business and also, you know, having that pressure of being the main, you know, breadwinner in your family for, for quite some time. So just curious about like, if somebody's feeling kind of that pull or stretch or kind of struggle there, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, I totally understand that. And like, I still struggle with it. Sometimes I, I come a long way, but I I still really struggle with it because there's a lot to running a business. And one of the things that helped me with my mental struggles was the distraction of my business. I think for me personally, one of the reasons I had stronger struggles with the anxiety and depression, it, it comes up every once in a while for me now, but it's really more of a background thing now. But when it was main focus, I was so focused on it that it was all I could focus on. It's kind of one of those like, you know, chicken and egg theories or whatever, but I was so focused on it. That's all I was focused on. And when I started shifting my focus to my business, I kind of got that feeling of purpose. I was creating something and I was doing something outside of what was going on in my mind. And that was very freeing for me. But I know that putting yourself out there when you're new to this is really hard. My only advice I could say to that, especially when it comes to things like on social media and stuff, and we all know what can go on on social media, know who you are, stay authentic to you. And when you're dealing with those people who are just not nice, don't engage with them. I made that mistake early on and I would try to like reason with them or I would even not do anything. And I would just cry to my husband because I was like, why are people being mean to me for no reason? And he's like, you know what? That's them. That's not you. That's them. And you have to realize, I know that's so much easier said than done, but it will come with time. So just know that even though you might experience some of those feelings in the beginning, the more you work past it, the more you keep going and you don't give into it, the better it's going to get, the easier it will get. And then two, when you get to really big communities, like I have now, I now have people 
that will help me with some of that stuff to where there's a barrier there. I'm not always staring at everything that I might come in contact with, or even the nice comments. Sometimes those can get really tiresome because you feel like you have to answer so many things and that can be a little bit overwhelming. But when you get to a bigger size, again, you know, handing off some of that responsibility to someone else, it's really helps that. I totally understand the the feeling of kind of being afraid to put yourself out there. Just start small. If you're afraid with like a video, when, like I said, with my YouTube videos, when I first started, I did an overhead. I knew nothing about video. So I'll just preface that. I did an (laughs) overhead video with like a tripod that was like bent down and I did not speak in the video. I just showed what I was doing. And then sometimes I would write text on the screen because I was actually scared to speak in the video. Like I felt like people would make fun of my voice or something like that. And I was terrified. And it wasn't until like a year after I started my YouTube channel that I actually spoke in my video. And if you listen to the videos when I first speak, I'm like whispering like a little cat or something like that because I'm still so scared. And now, like when I talk to people like this, they're like, you're an introvert? No, you're not. You're totally lying to me because they think I'm just like, I look like an extrovert. And I really am an introvert. It takes a lot for me still to get on calls and things like this. Something that I only started doing recently But I would say to anyone like that, be patient with yourself, take it in small doses. Don't overwhelm yourself. Don't say, I've got to put a video up there of my face tomorrow. You know, I didn't start putting my face in videos until a year ago. So it took me almost four years before I had the courage to actually do face in video and not just my hands and speaking. So just be patient with yourself and work up to it in baby steps. It's okay to do that. You don't have to start out of the gate having everything look like I look like right now. That's that's part of the journey. And that is actually going to allow you to build your brand better if you kind of go through that process and you'll connect with people that way too, because they'll see that you're a person, you know, you go through different stages of growing and, and that's another aspect of, you know, showing your authenticity to people. I love that so much. This has been such a great interview. Thank you so much, Abby. Gosh, I've learned so much, took so many notes and just really appreciate your openness and sharing your journey with us. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. So let people know all the places where they should go follow you and find your stuff. Yes, absolutely. So you can visit my blog, abbykirstencollections.com. And then you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at abbykirstencollections as well. Love it. Wonderful. We'll put all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much. Yay. Thank you so much. (laughs) Great to see you. You too. I just absolutely loved that conversation with Abby. I could have been talking to her and holding her up for hours and hours, but she just has such an incredible story and so much wisdom. And I'm so grateful to her for sharing her journey and her wisdom with us and her time with us today. And I want to thank you so much for joining Abby and me today. Now, remember, if you are ready to scale your business with Facebook and Instagram ads, I just want to make sure you don't miss out on my podcast only promotion that I'm doing right now. I'm not sharing this offer anywhere else. When you use code podcast100 at monicalouie.com slash flourish, you will save $100 off the price of flourish with Facebook ads. So don't wait. This promo expires on Thursday, July 8th, 2021. And if you're interested in learning more about how my team and I might be able to help you with your Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest ads, like we do for Abby, go to monicalouie.com slash WWM. We have information there about our services. 
As I mentioned, we'll have all the links and resources that Abby and I mentioned today in the show notes. And you can find those at monicalouie.com slash 107. Be sure to check out what Abby's got going on on her website, abbykirstencollections.com and check her out in all the places on social media. Check out her YouTube channel, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, all the places. If you've found this episode helpful, please be sure to follow the show in your favorite podcast app so you can be notified when the next episode comes out. Brand new episodes come out every single Thursday. Next week, we are talking all about funnels. I've got an incredible entrepreneur coming your way and he's sharing all about his failures, his funnels, and what it finally took him to build a multi-million dollar online course business. I can't wait for you to hear it. Join me next week for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. That's all for today. Take care, stay healthy, and let's flourish. Flourish.